welcome to another episode of Dr. MC's Self-Care Cabaret Podcast. I'm Teresa Melito connors a PhD-level self-care expert in the greater Boston area with a passion for helping others recognize the importance of caring for themselves. Today's conversation is with my friend, mentor, and colleague, Dr. Mitch Ablett. Mitch is a clinical psychologist, author, consultant, and national international speaker. I first crossed paths with Mitch about 10 years ago when I began working in special education, as he was the clinical director of the Manville School at the Judge Baker Children's Center in Boston, a Harvard Medical School-affiliated therapeutic school program for children and adolescents with emotional, behavioral, and learning difficulties. Mitch also served as a member of my doctoral committee, and it was an honor to have him as part of that process with me. And I have had the pleasure over the years of attending many workshops with Mitch that have always been wonderful learning experiences. His latest book for parents, educators, and other helping professionals, titled Prizeworthy, How to Meaningfully Connect, Build Character, and Unlock the Potential of Every Child, is now available to purchase, and it is a fantastic read. I am thrilled to learn more about this latest book and welcome Mitch to the podcast today. Thank you, Mitch, so much for joining me today on the Dr. MC Self-Care Cabaret podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to ask you a a few questions, and we're going to jump right in because I know you have so much experience in the self-care arena as a clinical psychologist and, of course, your mindfulness work. But I'm wondering how you like to practice self-care. Oh, good one. Right off the bat. Um. I, it's been an evolving process over the years. Um, you know, first I, I actually have tried to move away just for myself from the, the concept of self-care because it, it, it was so caught up in baggage for me around all the stops and starts and fail failure experiences and the shoulds and the should nots and all of that stuff. You know, so I, I have, how I integrate things for myself. Okay. I would call it. So, um, and I've gotten way more consistent using that kind of frame versus like, I got to do the self-care stuff, which always felt like a should. So, you know, I would say that particularly over the past year, I've gotten pretty consistent around like I need to every day and I don't do cray cray stuff like I used to feel like I had to (laughs) around like exercise you know I view it as exercise now it's I do my martial arts stuff and you know this is audio so I'll I'll, but I'll turn my camera you can see my heavy bag right over there Ooh, that's fun and if I turned it far enough, which will pull out the cords, you'll see my little, uh, I have a portrait of Bruce Lee on the wall. So when nice. I'm working out, I I view it, it's like a primary way that I practice mindfulness. So, you know, because I, I don't sit formally as much as I used to, you know, I'd say a couple of times a week, I'll sit um, formally. You know, medit- you know, meditation, but I, I will kind of drop in to my martial arts practice, mindfulness, uh, integrate stuff zone. Um, and I, 
I've been pretty consistent here for about a year where it's like every day, you know, half hour, 45 minutes. And I'll, I'll, you know, I have some people online that I like their way of teaching stuff. And, and so I'll like have that in the background and I'll either follow along with them or do my own stuff. And that really is important to me. You know, like it, it really is meditate, meditative and it's cardio, it's strength, you know, all that stuff, but it, it's way more than the exercise. It's like, I, I feel like I've lit something in myself. Mm. Nice. And, and I don't always do it first thing in the morning. It can be like today it was, you know, uh, like, like noontime. So, you know, that's a key thing in the integration zone um you know I, I i feel like it's super important that i hydrate the crud out of myself you know i was not absolutely <laughs> i was not doing that for years and years and it makes a big difference in how you feel it, it it's i mean everyone talks about it it's kind of like a you know like a fad thing but it's a real thing um you know it's not anything like some you know, synthetic supplement thing that somebody made up. It's water. And <laughs> I think I have it. Oh, it's over there on the other. I have a gallon thing that I. Oh, you walk around with a big gallon jug? Yeah, yeah. Nice. And there's something about it being a big honking gallon jug. <laughs> I mean, it's it's actually, it has like the little, it's got little motivational stuff on the side. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, I don't really, you know, that's, that's kind of whatever, but it, there's something about it being heavy and that, and I think this is important. It requires a degree of intention to fill it up, have it in the fridge every night, get it out in the morning, carry it around and feel the weight of it. And, and it's this big honking reminder that, you know, I'm showing up to something that is my choice. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm constantly, as you know, in my creative projects, you know, and I, you know, my own podcast is one of them, the, you know, the writing I do, the uh, speaking, you know, the online course stuff that I'm about to, to put out there, you know, that is, that is very integrative for me to sit and be like, all right, there's a new way of doing this or a new way of kind of stitching this together. And I'll, you know, come up with an acronym or a way to integrate mindfulness practices or a new way to teach it or, or whatever. And, um, and that, that does something integrative for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah. as you were talking about Bruce Lee, I actually had a memory of being in one of your workshops and you shared a Bruce Lee quote and I may butcher it, but it was something along the lines of, I fear not the man who learns 10,000 different kicks. I fear the man who practices one kick 10,000 times yeah. or something. And like that really stuck with me and yeah. um, is quite a powerful, um, powerful quote. So I'm glad that um, Bruce Lee's there uh, encouraging you. <laughs> yeah. The the quote on the, the wall over here next to it. And it's a, it's a picture of him or like a litho looking thing from his best movie, in my opinion, Enter the Dragon, after he's, you know, fighting the the, the boss guy at the end and he's gotten scratched up and, and whatnot. And the quote is, you know, only the doer learns. Mm. 
which nice. I, I like that. But when I'm when I'm punching and stuff or kicking, I'm often aiming at Bruce. Uh oh. <laughs> not, not out of aggression, like he's my indirect guru, and I'm showing him. That's awesome. Showing him my stuff. Yeah, and I've recently been paying attention. I think I was letting my hydration slip a little, and I've started seeing an acupuncturist, and she noted that I was dehydrated, and course i then you know jump right into gear to fix this but i so i've been a little more intentional just paying attention to how i'm feeling and it makes a huge and i knew this like i know this but i'm actually like living it right now and really feeling the difference over the past few weeks of um just more intentional about my water intake and i've been tempted to get one of those motivational one of those big honking jugs as you described Yeah, it, it uh, yeah, I don't know what the science says. I know there's science that talks about hydration, but it, you know, for me personally, headaches decrease significantly, oh, yeah. and recovery from working out. Like I, you know, I just turned fifty last this past Sunday, and if you are not, you know, hide if I don't hydrate like that, I think it then begins a cascade that I start to get sore. You know, I'm and I'm more likely to pull something. Sure. Uh, which was the case before I ended up having surgery on my right elbow for tendonitis years ago. Cause I was trying to do crazy DVD yoga stuff. Oh goodness. We don't need to move, do any exercise into the extreme. <laughs> well, I was doing a big, like, Oh, I can do this. I'll keep up with the 20 year olds who are all yoga instructors, right. teacher and all the students. And I, I basically jacked myself up and was, you know, massive tendonitis and, you know, both elbows and whatnot. So, you know, that, that's, you know, I, back then I'm like, I'm doing my self-care. You know, I, I think it's now like, you know, am I really paying attention when I'm doing what I'm doing? Right. And that's key. Yes. Awesome. And happy birthday, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> so what we're mostly going to spend our time talking about today is your new book prize worthy, yes. which I'm very excited to learn more about. I have read um, parts of it so far. And um, so you want to tell me a little bit about the book? Yeah, yeah. It, it uh, It's the closest thing to like magnum opus material for me where and by that, I mean, like, this is the stuff I've been thinking about and teaching for a long time. Um, this distinction between what you know, most people consider praise and then what I consider to be prizing kids. You know, the book is focused in on parents and then like educators, you know, therapists that work with kids. And the original vision was like a a much broader uh, book about human communication and human relationships. So like, you know, adults with one another, you know, prizing versus uh, praise and blame. Mm. Um, but it, it I, I consistently need to give shout outs to certain people in my own history. You know, the one in particular that the book is dedicated to was my mentor uh, in graduate school, who's one of my clinical supervisors. This very cool guy named Sandy, he went by Sandy, and uh, he was like my own personal Yoda. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know he he was just an awesome dude, and he was the first person to, or the only person to give me that term. And you know I think the way he said it was, it's important, Mitch, to not praise 
your clients as a therapist, it's important to prize them. And that just like it, like, boom, like lightning bolt for me back then. And this is long before I was a meditator and into all the mindfulness stuff, which back then I scoffed at as like unscientific, <laughs> you know, new age Buddhist hooey, you know, John Cabot Zinn, wherever you go, there you are, was out while I was in grad school. I'm like, what the hell is this? You know, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Surprise, here you are. <laughs> right, right, right. And, you know, Sandy, and yet I was drawn to that term. And I was, as a you know therapist in training, I was, you know, like moth to flame around, you know, process intervention versus content of intervention with with patients like the the here and now of of therapy i i studied with a major professor in my research for my masters and a little bit with my dissertation was on therapeutic alliance the importance of the relationship right and so you know i i you know, it's like all these things kind of came together over over years and then when i started you know uh while i was still in grad school working with teens and and really acute stuff uh, that you've heard me talk about before, like working in a boys' prison and then residential work when I got up to the Boston area, um, working at the therapeutic school for 11 years as the clinical director, then then prizing. And over those years, prizing became like the sum total of my treatment plan. Like if I can show up to this with kids, that's what they need. And so it, it's this, it's this, um, you know, it's become my viewfinder. It might like my, my glasses, my perspective, uh, working with, uh, kids, working with adults, any patient of mine, and just, you know, interacting with people, you know, people really need to be seen and not in a superficial way, but like in a deep way. So prizing is distinct from praise you know praise is you know particularly the way it's taught to like parents around like coaching intervention kind of stuff you know you know lots of research evidence to support it I'm not saying it's like inherently bad um, but most praise is uh, conditional you know oh you did that good behavior or you made that good outcome happen in the world. Now I'm praising you. Good job. Do more of that. So there's a contingency <laughs> aspect. Um, it can be effective in terms of the kid will do more of that behavior. So, but then there are all kinds of downsides. And this is, you know, I've talked about this a bit in the book, and there's endless resources, you know. Uh, Carol Dweck's uh, research and others, yep. growth versus fixed mindset, this maps onto this really well, that there can be some really uh, not good side effects to praise when it's um, overly conditional, like you're only going to get my engagement if you do X. Right. You know, that, that can be, um, you know, the research is pretty clear that if it's conditional praise, if it's whole kid praise like you are so smart you are i'm emphasizing it on purpose you are so creative can feel good to the kid but it sets this bar that particularly if a kid has 
some anxiety issues or ADHD or learning dysfunction or whatever. And these are the kids that I've worked with for 20 plus years. They're not going to show up to creative and smart and, you know, you know, charming or whatever in every situation. So now they feel less than. Right. And the research, you know, is like, well, kids that have had the whole person praise kids that have had all the conditional praise, you know, they, they end up trying less hard, you know, and they end up avoiding challenge. They end up with that fixed mindset. Like that's who I am. And I am afraid I'm not going to bring it and I'm going to let people down. They're not going to like me. And then they end up in my office in their twenties and thirties as a patient. <laughs> Why do I suck? Sure. Why do I suck so much? So praise has some, you know, some downsides to it. And yet it's so, um, it's so universal in our cultural lexicon to praise like that, not just kids, but each other as adults. And prizing is, uh, is not conditional. It's not outside the moment that you're in. It's completely mindfulness consistent because it is mindfulness. It's like interpersonal mindfulness. It's I'm here in this moment and I'm noticing what I'm noticing in myself and I'm noticing what I'm noticing that might be the case. I could be wrong in you kiddo. And what I'm noticing in you matters to me. Yeah. So can you give another example? Um, There's tons in the book. There's actually lots of exercises and journaling and whatnot throughout the book, which I think is really cool too. I'll, I'll give an example. It's not in the book. That's a uh, personal one. Um, when I, when I uh, got my PhD, I wrote the, you know, a dedication, which wasn't required for it, but I wanted to put a dedication. I dedicated it to my grandfather's and I, I wrote something like, uh, to my grandfathers, though no degree, no diploma marks your doctorates, you were my greatest professors. Something like, something like that. But my one grandpa, who I, they lived next door to us in Ohio when I was little. So like birth through 13. And very sweet uh sensitive caring empathic guy um kind of soft-spoken i was helping him haul wood that he had chopped he's also very strong and you know even in his 60s back then he had like huge you know we called him popeye he, kind of, <laughs> he had the he had the the look of popeye he had like huge not that big but he had like really strong looking arms and stuff and i'm helping him haul wood that he had chopped throw through a open window into their basement for their their uh, wood burning thing in the basement and he had a wheelbarrow and I was being herky jerky with it and he reached over and psh, latched onto my my forearm Mitchell stop 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 like he really snapped at me and it startled me at the time but I was being ridiculous so you know no big deal I didn't really think about it that evening the phone rings in the kitchen, the old school diet, you know, yep. thing. <laughs> and mom says, you know, your grandpa's on the phone. I thought she meant my other grandpa in Southern Ohio. She said, no, grandpa next door. And I get on the phone, I'm like, hello. And he's like, Mitchell, are, are you okay? I'm like, 
what are you talking about, Grandpa? I know I raised my voice with you earlier today, and I was worried that that had really, you know, upset you. I just wanted to check, make sure you were okay. And I'm like, I'm fine, Grandpa. He's like, all right, I just wanted to check. I'll see you tomorrow. To me, you know, there's a, there, that's prizing in that he had this strong intention to, you know, circle back to me and check in about what I had experienced then and what I was experiencing then on the phone with him. And his agenda was not about anything, I think, other than connecting with me. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's a, a real personal example. It's not in the book of, you know, the intentionality and the agendalessness of, of prizing. Yeah, I think that's a great example. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So it's really becomes, you know, a bit of a shift in kind of our thinking. And, and I've heard you describe it also as, you know, a new paradigm for how parents and caretakers and folks who work with children can kind of do better. Um, yeah. So how do you how do you see that? How do you see this book kind of doing that? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I, I think um, I'll start with this. There are a lot of parenting books out there. A boatload. <laughs> you can go on BNN or just go on Amazon and there's a ton. There are even a ton of like mindfulness related parenting books. Sure. And my concern and adding to that, you know, shelf on the, in Barnes and Noble is that, and I've experienced this as a parent, my kids are seven and 11. You know, there's a, a lot of shoulds heaped on parents like you should be doing this you should be using this skill you you know you really should be spending more time with them you, you know blah 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 you know there's lots of shoulds and I, I didn't want to add to that and you know I feel like there's this paradigm out there that is still dominant around um certainly blame isn't good and there's you know parents that will get in the blame zone with their their kids or overtly pressuring them and just there's that praise paradigm and there's this uh ongoing kind of self-esteem culture for kids i gotta bolster my kids self-esteem you know every kid should get a trophy <laughs> no not every kid should get a trophy because you know, in my work, as you know, I work with kids that did, were they always bringing it such that they deserve the trophy for math in terms of their outcomes? No. Were, you know, does it help that kid to say, hey, you can do anything in life that you put your mind to. You can be an astronaut. You can be a physicist. I think there's a way in which when we, we tell kids, you can do anything. I'm going to praise you up and build up your self-esteem they can feel the inauthenticity of that they mm. can feel that we're kind of sugarcoating stuff and we're not being completely honest because particularly if we don't believe that i think they can feel that when we don't really believe it but we're saying it anyway so prizing is not all rainbows and unicorns like you know i'm going to boost up your self-esteem 
Um, you know, it, it is it is really about getting with the truth in the kid's experience. So instead of going for the gold of the gold medal, you're really going for tin, you know, truth in experience. And yeah. and uh, and sometimes that's a lot of muck and yuck for the kid. Surprising <laughs> is like they're they're being naughty. They're being nasty. And yet you're interested while you're going to simultaneously set a limit. You're going to have an and I know that there's a stuckness back there and I can't even begin to understand what it is. You're going to have to let me know when you're willing. And that is prizing, even though it's a negative behavior. Um, I, I just think that when we do too much boosting kids up just to do it, they were not actually helping them in the long run. Right. I would agree with that. So, so yeah, there's a lot of how for prizing and it, it starts with the adult. If we're talking about prizing. Right. Yeah, for sure. And you've mentioned this a couple of times. So I just want to, to clarify if some of our listeners don't know, and in my work, I talk about this too, but kind of the dangers of should the word should and how, when we keep saying like, you know, I, I should do this, I should go to the gym, I should exercise more, I should eat better, whatever it is, it makes us feel like our efforts are kind of less than and that we're not enough and we're not worthy. Yeah. Do you have any more thoughts on kind of the, the dangers of should? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's, you know, I was talking about myself with self-care in the beginning, you know, it's, you know, around parenting in particular, there's just endless things that you, any given day, I, I should have been this with my kids, or I should have been this as a parent, I should have followed up on that. When does that ever help? When does that ever lead to more openness and flexibility and actual doing and the actual follow through versus kind of kink stuff up and close stuff up and lead to actually less doing and less flexibility. So, you know, I, I think prizing isn't a should, it's just something that you can, you know, to start with, you can learn to just see that way. Right. You don't have to do anything. You can just start to be curious. What's behind my kid's behavior? You know, I think in a book, I, I say something like, you know, it's like uh, being Jane Goodall with your kids without you know, turning them into other primates, although sometimes <laughs> I think that's actually boosting a kid up in a good way, you know, because they're pretty beautiful animals. But, you know, she would sit and just carefully, mindfully for hours, just observe these, you know, these chimpanzees and dial into what must it be like in their skin. And, you know, I'm, not a Jane Goodall expert. I haven't written her, you know, biography or anything. And yet I have heard her speak in person. That was pretty cool. That is cool. You know, she, she has a presence about her. This, you know, gentle, thoughtful, yet courageous presence that I would consider something that happens when you keep showing up and dropping in and carefully observing and being willing to receive versus already kind of prejudging what you're looking at so if you know so instead of like i need to start banging out all these hacks as a parent how about i just start for a while not worrying about changing anything else i'm just going to watch my kids 
and just be wondering and be curious what must it be like in their skin yeah i like that so aside from the book you also have um an accompanying podcast that is is the podcast centered around kind of the idea of prizing oh this is the brand i'm i'm piecing together you know you know that uh, because it resonates with me you know whether it's going to resonate in the world i don't i don't know um but part of me doesn't really care that much because it, it <laughs> you know it uh yeah the the podcast i struggle with the title i was like am i going to just focus in on parenting kind of like the book is more focused on parenting but i i decided that you know whether the market you know you know people will tell you marketing consultant go for your niche you know versus trying to go broad but i was like screw it you know so i uh i call it the prize of possibility and it's you know you know the the nooks and crannies of the moments in daily life that can be easily missed without dropping into presence mindfulness compassion so, you know, I've done a lot of parenting, you know, interviews with parenting experts, uh, authors, um, which that's been really cool. But I, I've talked to some people outside of par parenting. I, I um, did an interview recently with a uh, author and writer and he leads retreats, like combining meditation with creative writing as a way to engage personal growth. And that was lovely. It had very little to do. And we didn't talk about parenting at all. So, you know, I, I find that process um, of reaching out to people, some people that I already knew, but then a lot of people I haven't met. And, hey, would you like to be on my podcast? And that guy in particular, his name's Albert, uh, Albert Flynn DeSilver. He he said to me when I read the title and the little blurb about your podcast, it, you know, that, you know, prize of possibility resonated with me. I wanted to do it. And um, I, it's, it's been cool. It's like uh, what I have called in the past organic networking. It's like, just, you, you meet somebody that way and you riff with them. It's like jazz to have the conversation. It's not scripted. It's very real. And whether anybody listens to it, you know, is less important to me than what it it is doing in me. It's like it's like an integrative practice to sure. hang out with people. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I feel like the whole kind of concept of prizeworthy will take practice to kind of make that shift. And to, you know, if they go through the book, there's lots of, like I mentioned, lots of journaling activities and just, but I feel like to really internalize it, it would take, you know, it's going to take a little bit of, of time um, to practice it. So listening to the podcast could be another great way to kind of supplement the book um, as well. If this is something that folks are interested in and I've had, you know, friends of mine, I'll see, I'm not a parent, but I'll see, you know, friends on social media posting about different, um, you know, situations and things that they're struggling with and always looking for great resources. So I think this can be um, great for any anybody listening who is a parent or works with children um, in any way it can definitely be helpful. And um, I do want to talk about 
you created a card, um, a deck of cards. I think it's called Growing Mindful. And that's one of my favorite things. I I think actually you gave me the deck of cards and I use it all the time and during one of your workshops. And I, I tend to share different mindfulness activities. But I'm wondering if you have what's your like your favorite mindfulness activity? Oh, well, there there's the uh, the formal and informal mindfulness practice. You know, my my favorite mindfulness practice is like what I just described, like true, authentic, prizing related dialogue. You know, which is increasingly what I find when I you know doing uh, creative teaching speaking, the podcasting, working with some of my patients privately or doing like coaching consultation with people. I, I, those, that's a practice for me. And I'll, I'll say that people like, Hey, there's a selfish side to this. Cause it's kind of, it's like a, it's a remembering of what actually is every time I'm in a dialogue like that. And that, that's really what mindfulness practice is about is helping you um, come into what is most and always and ever true. You know, that there is this moment and then there in, in this moment, there is what we're experiencing. And then there's how we're relating to that experience. And that is awareness. And any, any time that I'm, you know, dropping into that truth that's great that's practice and then there are the little kind of like packaged up you know practices you know that either i've created or when i do like formally sit which i do think is important um you know i have my way of sitting you know and and again kind of like with the the honking jug around hydration (laughs) yeah for me the power of like formal sitting meditation um, is the degree of intentionality. Like I'm not going to just like sit here in this chair where I sit all day long, you know, meeting with people. I'm going to get up and go over there where I have my, my little kind of, you know, my Buddha statue under my desk and I've got my beautifully carved, uh, Cezar bench that my dad, who um, his main passion, you know, other than being a mechanical engineer professionally, is carpentry. He made me a folding, you know, beautifully done Cezar bench. Cool. And so I'll sit on that and then I drop in and then I will, you know, pay attention to the breath and the sensation of it. And I'll do that until that feels stable and then i will not like a specific time sometimes i'll just stay with that because it doesn't i'm just kind of all over the place so i'll stay with the breath if that stabilizes and the focus is very clear and there's a kind of a, a broadened awareness then i'll go out to and allow myself to be aware of the you know the whole body all sensation and then if that feels stable and clear and I'm still, you know, aware of the sensation of the breath, then I'll open my eyes. And this is where it gets fun. <laughs> because in front of that desk over there, my other desk is a full length mirror. 
Okay. So I'll be, I'll open my eyes and I'm looking right at my reflection and in my peripheral vision out the windows. And then I'll, you know, let's see, let's see how I can be with this. And then let go of all this Mitchness chatter and just see that reflection and then see what's beyond it as I'm still feeling all the sensations in the body and thoughts popping and oh, the breath is still there. 20, 30 minutes. Great. Beautiful. How often would you say, and I know I always try to remind people that a practice like that is you know, think of it like a muscle, you don't, you're not just going to sit and do that. You know, you've been doing this for years, building this, building upon this practice. So how often do you, do you get to do that? Would you say? It, it, there's this, uh, you know, trying to relate to the should around it. Um, I think it would be kind to myself to show up to it more than I have been lately. It's like a couple sure. times a week. Um, there was there was a period of years where, and the practice was a little different then. But you know, sitting practice was daily down in the basement, in our old house. You know, on the cushion, on the bench. You know, thirty minutes every morning before I'd go into Manville or you know wherever. Sure. And um, you know, I don't know that it needs to be daily because there's so much informal practice. Right. And yet, I don't know, it feels, uh, it's important. You know, yeah, the, the word I keep using, it's a remembering. Yeah, I like that. And so I think my favorite, if I had to pick one favorite of kind of the the quick and more informal yeah. from the deck would be the rainbow connection. I think you call it. And maybe it's just cause I'm secretly like a big Muppets fan. Uh, <laughs> I love Kermit, but um, it's the, the gaze around the room that you're in and try to find something of every color of the rainbow. I love yeah. sharing that one with, especially with teachers because they're usually in colorful spaces or they can do yes. it out a window, of course, but that's one of my favorites. Yeah. You know, thank you. Yeah. That, that deck was a lot of fun to put together with Chris Willard and uh, which you should have him on at some point. Yeah. We, well, we don't necessarily want to, you know, shame him on the recording, but he has been invited and, and I think he will be a guest coming up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. You know, he, he and I had a lot of fun we co-published a bunch of things. Uh, we just had our, uh, I'm going to, Oh my God, I'm going to blank on the title. It just came out uh, last month. Train oh, your mind like a ninja. The ninja deck. Yeah, the I was, <laughs> I have it. I bought it. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. It's great. Yeah. I did that with him. And then, uh, uh, Koei, uh, Kuahara sensei, who's a Aikido and Ayado, which is, you know, samurai sword master. Um, he lives in Watertown and, um, that was really, it's been fun working with Chris putting that together, but that, that growing mindful deck was our first one. We self-published it initially no one would take us seriously there were no mindfulness card decks oh my god they're so helpful and especially like when i present a lot of times it's to teachers and i'm helping teachers and i always tell them you know do it though with the students like it's for your yeah. own like nervous system also to calm down and regulate and they love um the other ones i share 
are the uh, what went well, because we yeah. tend to focus on the opposite of that. Right. So I always share that one. Oh, I do the stop method, the the yeah. stop what you're doing, um, take a breath, observe your inner and outer worlds, and then proceed. And the yeah. last one I share is, um, I don't know what you call it, I'm forget blanking on the header, but basically you take a big in-breath, with your wide, open your arms wide, like you're going to give the whole world a hug. Yeah, and then on the exhale, yeah. you actually give yourself a hug. So those are those are my four favorite, but there's, I don't know, what is there, 52 in the deck? There's, there's a lot there. 50, 52, yeah. No, thank you. It, it's, uh, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun to put those together. And the thing I would say, like for teachers and parents, have the, instead of like, we're going to do this mindfulness stuff now, which they get a <laughs> lot in schools these right. days, right? And like, oh God, here they go with the mindfulness stuff again. You know, have kids like pick out ones that, you know, look at all interesting to them and then they can share it. They can right. teach their parent, they can teach other, you know, they can do like a little show and tell or they can create their own practice riffing off of what's in the cards, you know, you, you want that kind of organic kind of engagement vibe. Um, and then, you know, the thing that's going to get kids learning mindfulness is that, that kind of, you know, kind of organic jazz vibe. And then if the adult is being mindful you know, they, they are doing it themselves. That's what teaches it best. Yeah. No, I haven't really had a chance. The The ninja deck looks excellent. I just, I haven't really had a chance to dive into that one yet and start pulling and, and including them in my, in my workshops, but I will for sure. Um, so I think it's, I think it's important. And that one looks a lot of fun and very, um, very appealing to kids. Like I could see just the art, the art style. Beautiful. And, you know, who doesn't want to be a ninja? I mean, that's awesome. So I, I, I aim for it every day. <laughs> you and Bruce Lee over there in the, yeah. in the corner, the heavy bag. Awesome. Um, so I, I want to make sure we'll, we'll be sure to include any links to things we've talked about, um, you know, in the episode notes, as well as your information. But if you want to share with us, Mitch, where folks can find you and learn more and engage with you, um, yeah. For our listeners. Yeah. If, if people are at all resonating with the stuff I'm saying, you know, I, you know, the things that you've talked about are out, you can learn about it on my website, you know, drmitchablett.com. Um, yeah, the other thing I'll, I'll say really quick, I've got a really cool program I'm excited about that I'm going to be launching here going into the holidays. It's, uh, you know, I'm calling it Transforming the Difficult Conversation. Ooh. And, and it's all about how to be able to show up to the tough conversations we all face with more presence and what I call courageous audacity. Nice. Cool. So that that well, that'll excellent. that'll be you know people can sign up on my email list and find out about it. Perfect. Well, we'll make sure all of that is included in the episode notes. Um, and yeah, I know you you are on pretty active on social media on Twitter, and I know you're starting out um, more on using Instagram more. Oh, I'm starting. I, yeah. I got like 50 <laughs> followers. Hey, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember I just turned 50 on my Instagram. Okay, I guess I got to do that too. Yeah, it's okay. Um, but so folks can always engage with you on either one of those um, platforms as well. And we'll make sure your handles are in the episode notes. So thank you so much, Mitch, for joining us today. It was great to chat with you and learn more about the exciting work you're doing and your latest book. Thank you. And congrats on your podcast and all you're doing. Thank you so much.
That was great. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Remember, self-care does not have to be cray-cray. And if it's riddled with shoulds for you, see if you can shift that thinking. I love how Mitch explained how he made that shift. And remember, self-care is not extreme or punishment. I think back to my days before my eating disorder recovery and how extreme I was with my exercise routine and my food restriction. That may have looked like self-care from the outside, especially since my body never fit the stereotypical look of someone with an eating disorder. But trust me, it was far from self-care. And hydration is so important. As I mentioned recently that I realized I was dehydrated despite my best efforts. At my acupuncturist's suggestion, I started adding coconut water to my routine. Now, I don't enjoy just plain coconut water. I don't like the texture or the taste. So what I've been doing is making mocktails. And I mix the coconut water, pure and unsweetened, with pineapple juice and ice, pour it into a fun glass, and add a splash of cranberry juice. Not only does it look very pretty, but it's also good for you. I have to say, I feel so much better when I'm properly hydrating. Give it a shot. And I love the idea of prizing over praising in Mitch's latest work. This is an important shift in how we work with children and how we parent. Of course, check out Mitch's book to learn more and his accompanying podcast. And I love the reminder for educators and parents in giving children the power of choice in picking their mindfulness practices, among other things, instead of it just being another thing that adults are making them do. Autonomy and voice are very important and can go a long way. Thanks for listening to this episode. We're thrilled to be back for season two. Remember to subscribe and rate this podcast on your preferred player. The ratings help us grow and share the message of self-care. If you have comments, suggestions, or questions, please reach out directly by emailing podcast at drmcselfcare.com. That's drmcselfcare.com. And come join the cast party at Dr. MC's Self-Care Cabaret on Facebook and Instagram at DRMC Self-Care or on my website, drmcselfcare.com. Be sure to like, subscribe, and love me across all my social media platforms for the most up-to-date information on self-care. Thanks, do well, and be good. 